Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome back to Working Scientist, a nature careers podcast. I'm Julie Gould, and this is the final episode of The Muddle of the Middle. These last few episodes exploring this muddle of the middle has left me feeling a little bit like these mid-career researchers are, well, left to their own devices, a little bit unsupported. And I've tried collecting useful advice for you all, and I hope it's helped, but is there a way for the system to help? Can more be done to support mid-career researchers? I asked several of the guests that you've heard over the last few episodes about this, about whether or not the mid-career stage needs to be maybe more clearly defined. Andrea Armani from the University of Southern California in the US thinks that the mid-career stage is very poorly defined compared to the early stage, at least in academia. So you have this really nice clear tenure boundary. And then it's kind of assumed that after tenure, you're no longer an early career researcher. Um, on the other hand, you're not late stage researcher. So then everything in the middle is just middle. But there's obviously a huge grayscale uh, between someone who just got tenure and someone who's about to retire. And that, that gap could be, you know, 25, 35, depending on the person, 45 or 50 years. And that range uh, and lumping everybody together makes it very challenging for people who are supposedly in this you know, swimming pool to all swim together equally. Clearly, it's not an equal playing field. You'll have some mid-career swimmers who have only done a little bit of training. Their technique is OK and they've got a lot of work to do, but they're also young, maybe a bit nervous and inexperienced they're also probably a little bit intimidated by those who have spent hours, weeks, months and years putting in more training, honing their technique. These are the professional senior swimmers. They've done a lot of practice competitions and they know how to handle mistakes. The early career researchers, though, they're all going through their initial training at roughly the same pace. Everybody is kind of in the same the same level, at least. I'm not going to say it's a completely level playing field, but it, it, at least they're the same, the same group. So it's that early stage of the middle career stage where the researchers might need some extra support, that extra bit of training in the pool. 
maybe even their own competitions, their own races, before they join the older, more experienced swimmers. Now, some specific early mid-career support is becoming available. For example, the National Science Foundation in the USA recognised that this group of researchers were being left behind a little. And Leslie Risler from the National Science Foundation told me that they have created an award to help level the playing field. And the award is called the Mid-Career Advancement Programme. It was designed because we have so many opportunities for early career researchers. Um, in other words, we're very concerned about early career researchers, postdocs and assistant professors. But at that mid-career stage, there really isn't much The award is aimed at those people who want to focus more on their research. If you're involved in administration or service or teaching and you really want to get back to research, you need time and you need some resources, some funding. Um, We also have a smaller portion of people who may be doing fantastic at the mid-career stage, but they want to get um, another opportunity to work with someone to learn some new techniques and and move their career in a different direction. Um, And this solicitation is appropriate for those individuals as well. So this is a, a, a new niche that NSF has moved into to help those people at that unique career stage. The mid-career. Why did the NSF feel that this was a a program that needed to be put in place? We want to make sure that everyone in the scientific community have, that they have the tools necessary to contribute to science um, and to be productive. And at the mid-career stage, sometimes people get into other activities that they were shielded from as an early career researcher, like service, like administration, and sometimes extra teaching. And that can create a negative feedback loop where maybe you're doing great administrative work or you're doing wonderful teaching, but that takes away from the time that you have to apply for a research grant. And therefore you don't have a research grant and your department chair may say, well, we're going to add more teaching onto you. And so it you never get out of that trap and you can't get a research grant. So this provides time and money so that you can work with someone else. uh, You can increase networking, you can learn new skills and you can um, get back into research and really make a difference uh, in your career, but also for the science itself. One of the other main goals of the award and of the National Science Foundation is to create workload equity. In episode five of this series, we heard from Andrea Armani, who ended up being involved in 30 different committees. She was on some of those because she, as one of only two full female professors in her engineering department, was the only one suitable for the task. We don't want one gender to get swamped with all the service and the teaching because we know from publications that women um, in particular tend to. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today do more of that. They say they're doing more of that kind of work and less research. And that can create, 
you know, problems with getting women into high leadership ranks. And that's the, you know, that's one of the ultimate goals is to make sure that women in underrepresented groups are getting into those leadership ranks. So um, we're not there yet. It's a long way to go. Salome Maswime is the head of global surgery at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and she is the beneficiary of a mid-career award. In 2016, she received the South African Medical Research Council's Mid-Career Scientist Grant. The award can be used in different ways, Salome told me. Some use it to focus on their research, others to develop skills. But for Salome, it was about being able to create a vision for her future career. The most important thing was giving me a trajectory at a time where I'd been getting one-year awards, one to two-year awards, and so giving me a five-year period where I could focus on myself and my own research feels like a stepping stone to, to the independence. So I used my funding rather to employ uh, staff and, and to provide some bursaries for masters and PhD. And so building my, my research group per se has been how I decided to use it. Based on her experience, Salome thinks that specific awards for the mid-career can only be a good thing. You can label me as mid-career because of an award that is associated with that. And, and being there has been a great, a safe, has created a safe space for, for me to navigate my career without the pressures that one would have if they were trying to be seen as a senior scientist, you know, in, in, in their institutions or however. So I think giving more opportunities and awards titled as mid-career scientist awards is beneficial to people who are in the same same space as me. And I think more more attention or or more effort, sort of creating more hype around mid-career scientists and defining it more is beneficial to people who are in my stage of their careers. But what about some more tangible guidelines, some goals and targets to hit in the mid-career stage that might help define when you're getting a little bit closer to the end and becoming more independent? I asked Dame Athene Donald about this, and she said that on reflection, she thinks this would help enormously. She thinks that maybe some sort of appraisal system could work well. I was appraised at various points, but I don't think routinely. And when I was appraised one of the things I remember whether this was before I was a professor or after I I really don't know but someone said to me you shouldn't feel obliged to referee more papers in a year than you are submitting and that was you know a very tangible thing and I was thinking I'm accepting everything because I feel I ought to do this and maybe this is you know unnecessary and I think there should be ways of saying you know you've got two grants that's sufficient or um you know have you thought about what size your research group should be? You know, do you really want to have a research group of a dozen or 20 or three or, or whatever it may be? And I, I would like to think that appraisers would do that. But of course, that may or may not happen. It's a question of luck. But those are the indicators. I think people's asking you to reflect, you're doing this, why are you doing this? Or alternatively, have you thought about 
you know, your international career looks weak. What are you going to do about that? You know, it may be positive or negative, but I, I, I think there should be more to it than muddling through. There should be more guidance. In Brazil, working as a faculty member at a university is a government position, and the career ladder to becoming a full professor is very well described, with particular goals and timelines. Alessandra Filardi is an assistant professor of immunology at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and she is working hard to become a full professor. But to get there, she's got a lot of boxes to tick. She's currently at the assistant professor level, a position which she will have for eight years. The next rung on her career ladder is an associate professor, which will be another eight years. And when that is done, she will be a full professor. But to get from one stage to the next, she has some targets to hit. In general, you have to publish some, a number of papers in every two years. You have to mentor a number of students. You have to give it some hours of classes every, in every two years, and etc. And you have to do uh, extension courses, which is, uh, I don't know if it's the same name uh, as in English, but it's a kind of service to population in general. So for example, um, I give some, um, some uh, immunology classes to students from high schools on my, all my community. So it's a kind of service to community. It's another thing that we have to do to, to go through the, the, the levels. What are these numbers? Like, do, you have a, do you have an idea of how many papers you need to publish and how many students you need to measure, uh, need to mentor? Is that a specific, like a specific number that you need to do? Yeah, they don't, don't give you a specific numbers, but they expect you publish at least five papers in every two years. And of course, the impact factor of the papers counts a lot. So for example, if I publish just one paper in every two years, but the impact factor is very high, it's okay. You know, but, and you don't need to be the corresponding author in all the five papers. You, you can collaborate and, and everything, but they don't fix a number. They will not ask you, oh, you have to publish at least five. They expect it, they encourage you to publish at least five papers in every two years but uh, it's up to you. But if you don't publish, you don't go through the other level. And, of, and the number of students, they don't give you like a minimum, but at least one. One PhD student, at least one master's student, and you have to also mentor undergrad students. Alessandra agrees with Andrea Armani from the University of Southern California in the US, the mid-career stage is the hardest, but she's a bit more specific. So I, I guess this is the hard part. It's to be on the beginning of the middle career. You are competing with people who have more uh, publications, more students, more you know, experience and everything. Would you say it is the hardest part? Yes. I, in, the, in your career, I think it is. Because when you are in the beginning, you have a lot of opportunities to get grants, to get uh, funders, fundings. But when you are in this, in the, in the middle, you have different uh, layers of people in the same level, and then you are, you know, you don't have much things to 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 compete with them. But you cannot compete with the youngers, and and I guess this is the worst part. 
Now, I don't like to be all doom and gloom and I like to look at things in a more positive way. And there is a more positive way to look at all of this, says Cara Tannenbaum, the scientific director of the Institute of Gender and Health for the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. Unfortunately, career progression in science and academia is a pyramid. And there are and there should be a lot of career pathways. There simply aren't enough uh, senior scientist positions. Not everyone could get hired by a university. Um, Not everyone loves research. Sometimes you discover you have a talent for teaching. Sometimes you discover you have a talent for administration. Sometimes you discover you have a talent for being a visionary director of an entire research institute. Sometimes you have a talent for policymaking. So given that there's not as many positions, I think it's a real reckoning to decide where your skills lie best. And that's part of the competition. In a way, it's to see if how dedicated and persistent you are. And in a way, it's to make you look around and see the other doors and opportunities for you to contribute. Cara believes that the mid-career stage, although hard and, yes, a bit of a muddle, it's also a chance to be flexible. She told me that if you put too many guidelines and barriers and targets on this stage of the career, you lose the freedom to really explore the science, but also who you are and what you want to do as a person. I think you have to be flexible. I think just being open-minded, if there's a barrier one place, then you know, be persistent at it, but make sure you have a plan B, C, D for things that you're excited about and grow and learn. Um, One thing about being a scientist is our humility, constantly asking questions, testing the null hypothesis again, wondering if there's alternative explanations, alternative ways of doing things, not just trusting that what we've known and what we've been told until now is the absolute truth, but being open to discovery. Thank you to all the guests for sharing their insights and advice in this series, The Muddle of the Middle. I'll be back in a little while with a new series from Working Scientist all about leadership. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 